Madison, they're holding their breath in champagne. They'll let you know. And Bowdy Chase Kitty on the High Motor Podcast had a bit of a break after wrapping up that college football neighborhood series last week. And now we're sitting here. This is the Thursday episode, but we're recording this on Monday night, Monday, July. 20th, I think. Yeah, the 20th. Just about five weeks away from the scheduled start of the college football season, week zero. And like most of those early weeks, weeks maybe zero through four, zero through five-ish, like most of those weeks, week zero has been gutted with cancellations, but still three games scheduled for week zero, including a really intriguing Marshall at ECU game. Hopefully we still get that Saturday, August 29th. And Chase, you and I haven't done that much virus related content since everything went down back in March. I went back over episodes uh, since then. It's been about four and a half months. So that's what, 24, 25 episodes roughly. And you and I together have done zero episodes entirely devoted to virus-related things. We've touched on it before. A couple of months ago, we were just talking about this last week during the last Neighborhood Series podcast. A couple of months ago, we were saying, you know, what do you need for this college football season to feel like a college football season? We've done segments, and we'll probably get into a little bit of that today. But we haven't done an entire episode devoted entirely to the virus, how it's impacting college football. And I've had some guests on where it's been a heavy focus, like Dennis Dodd talked about it a lot back in May. Ben Barks talked about draft logistics, Brett McMurphy. But it's been pretty light. And from my side, that's 100% intentional because I've been hesitant to jump into it too much because I just I haven't known what to jump into. I mean, even from the college football insiders, the... I don't know, what is it, like eight or ten guys and gals that actually know truly what's going on in college football reporters. I'm talking about that with insiders. Even from them, it's just pure speculation and a guessing game splattered with some actual news maybe every, I don't know, two weeks or something like that. But what I'm seeing and what you're seeing, we're seeing everything that you all who are listening are seeing. Like We're seeing the comments from ADs just like you are. We're seeing the comments from commissioners, reporting from Nicole Auerbach, uh, with the Big Ten Pac-12 stuff, Brett McMurphy, Bruce Feldman, those type of people. And this this has always kind of felt like coaching changes to me. I mean, how many people every year actually break coaching changes news? Like 10 and then maybe a couple of beat writers? It's not more than that, is it? No. It might even be less than that. It, uh, yeah, it might be less than that. It might be like those three people that I mentioned and then like Adam Rittenberg could be thrown in there and then you might get a couple of the other ESPN guys, but... This has always felt like coaching changes because there are so few insiders who actually know what jobs could be opening, what jobs are definitely not going to be opening, which schools have the money for the buyout, who's going to be candidates, and you and I can make educated guesses. I mean, it's not that hard to dig into a job, dig into an AD, dig into a school, what type of profile they like with their head coach. We did that most weeks last year with the Who Would They Hire series. We can speculate, and in some cases, I mean, you nailed the Danny Gonzalez hire at New Mexico back in like... October. So we can talk about this and make educated guesses. But anyways, that's why I've been hesitant to jump too far into virus talk because there's nothing like there's stuff to talk about. But at the same time, my opinion, there's like there's nothing to actually talk about. There's no substance there. And if your head is just shoved so far up your ass listening to this, you're not picking up on this at all. We're going to talk a lot about the virus today. How Big Ten and Pac-12 decisions have affected the national picture. 
what we think is kind of the the minimum viable product of what we want from college football before we say, you know what, let's scrap it, let's just move it all to the spring. Would you rather have a spring season instead of what we're moving toward? Is the Pac-12 screwed now uh, with their playoff hopes even more so before? You know, how does this affect those second-tier teams in the Big Ten? How does this affect Wisconsin? I don't think Wisconsin's got enough attention. We'll get into some of that scheduling stuff today. We'll probably also do a future episode on more scheduling stuff, uh, tons of stuff here. Where are you with this? Are you more willing to dive into this stuff than I have been over the last four months? Uh, no, I was I was kind of right in line with you. As as things would change, I would wonder. I wonder how this is going to affect football. Uh, you know, as as think as rates go up or rates go down, or oh look, we got a vaccine into trial three or whatever. I'm not a scientist. I don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, when when it comes to actually like having a position or a take on the virus. I mean, it's just, we're, we're guessing. We don't know anything. It's everything that you just said. And I know a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of this business is, well, I'm going to come out and do eight minutes on what I think about football and coronavirus, because that's what you're supposed to do. But I just don't think we really do that. You and I, we don't have a position because we feel like we're supposed to, we don't have anything to add. So we didn't add anything. We tried to uh, I, I know this is like a loaded phrase now, but we did actually kind of try to stick to sports because that's where we have the interest. Like that's that's the stuff that we care about is the actual meat and potatoes of, of what drives the industry. So we tried to keep it there as long as we could. I think as things have evolved these last this last week or two, it kind of feels hard to ignore it at this point. And also... We are close enough to the season now. I mean, we would be five weeks away from football games in a normal year right now. It's July 20th. So it, it, we kind of have to start figuring out how this is all going to shake out at this point. And yeah, it's been, it's you, like you, you said, you nailed it. It's hard to ignore and not talk about it at this point, especially with now we're a week and a half uh, removed from the Pac-12 uh, Big Ten announcements that were the biggest. We knew those were always on the table. That's why it wasn't all that surprising, but they were still major announcements and it feels like we finally have an opportunity to both talk about the virus and its effect on college football, but then actually talk about football itself. Whereas it was all conjecture, it was all speculation. I mean, how many times over the last four months have we seen like, guys, spring football is actually possible. And then the next week, an AD or a president or a conference commissioner comes out and says, there's no way we can do spring football. We've gone back and forth with that so many times. And it seems like, like you said, five weeks, we're getting so close that decisions actually need to be made. A lot of stakeholders in college football have said recently that, I, can, I mean, they've thrown out different dates, but like July 31st or like August 1st has been a big one where we need to make a full decision by this date in order to have a season on, a start on whatever day, whether it's week zero, week one, or week five for teams that lost other non-conference games. And that changes a little bit. We'll see if more conference announcements come out. But the point being, it seems like we finally have an opportunity we're not going to get too much into scheduling stuff today. We'll save that for a future episode, but it feels like we finally have an opportunity to actually break down college football as we are now sitting without the the uh, Oregon-North Dakota State game. How does that affect Oregon's schedule? How does that affect their resume? How does not having Ohio State on the schedule, how does that affect their resume? Different things like that. It finally feels like we have the opportunity. And I want to start this by by jumping into something that we talked about a couple of months ago where what does college football have to have for it to feel like a college football season? And we didn't really know how to quantify that. I think it was two or three months ago. You know, what do you want? If you take out 
if you just wipe off like the G5, is that still a college football season to you? If only 75% of teams are playing, is that still college football season to you? So I want to start by asking you this, because we're seeing a lot of con well, two, and then there's speculation that more will join them with the conference only schedule this fall. At what point are, do you just want to say, you know what, let's just stop and let's just move it to the spring. Is there any sort of quantifiable limit for you where you're going to hit it is there a benchmark sitting out there where you say if all of this happens i'm done let's just move it to the spring uh if you would have asked me this question like two weeks ago i would have told you yes i would have told you if we're pushing the start of the season back like past october 1st and we can't get a real full conference slate in and 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 we're just we've got this weird I don't even know what it would be. Some kind of like just five game exhibition season. At that point, sure. Move it to the spring. I would rather wait and have a, like, even though it would impact all of this long-term stuff and recruiting classes in the NFL and the turnaround for the 2021 fall season and all this other stuff, let's move it and let's see what we can do. I have come to a completely new radical position which I have not told you about and which I'm going to tell you about now and see how you react. I want total fucking anarchy this fall. I do. Assuming it's safe. Now, I don't want anybody to get hurt. I don't want, you know, I don't want anybody to get sick. I'm not talking about that part of it. I'm talking purely about the football part. If it is safe for teams to opt in and play any version of football this fall, I want the weirdest shit we could possibly Give me come an example. Are, are you talking about, like, we're sitting here on Monday, and, like, Utah State is scheduled to play Colorado State or something, and Colorado State has an outbreak and they can't play, and Utah State calls up somebody else that has a bye week and say, you know what, you know, we, we your stadium or whatever, we can't get there on Saturday, let's play on Thursday in three days. Is that the type of anarchy you're talking about or things worse than that? I just I just want weird shit. I want stuff I'm never going to see before. And I've never seen before and I'm never going to see again. You know how we talk about 2007? Like it was this meteoric experience where we talk about the 2007 football season like our parents talk about like Woodstock. Like it was some insane event that we're never going to see again and probably won't. I mean, that was a pretty weird year. I want, if, if we're going to have this weird coronavirus impacted year, let's make it weird. Let's lean into the weirdness. So if 70 teams want to opt out of the season, I'm cool with that. I, I'm fine with that. You have to do what you feel is best. The 50 or 40 that are left or whatever, like let's have, let's have a baseball style three game series where the, the loser like loses recruits to the winning program and okay. Well, okay. FCS teams let's, let's just, play six FBS schools. And I take just a, want take weird a breath. Shit. Take a breath. I want weird pump the brakes. Pump the brakes a little bit here. I won't. You don't actually believe what you're saying right now. Do you? I'm like 75%. Yeah, I do. I want real weird stuff. Give me some weird stuff. I want Western Kentucky to win a national championship. I want all the way weird. Now I know you're just full of shit. No, I'm really not because but it's hold on, not. No, 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 hold on, hold on. Let me ask you this. It's not like I... if we have a weird year, then it's totally weird forever and ever, and we can never get back to normal operation. You know, 
I agree with that part, and I think that that's been something that is completely missed. There are some people that have pointed this out where, like, athletic departments will get back to full capacity. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know if it's a year or five years or ten years. And, yes, it sucks that some student-athletes, there. it seems like most are getting their scholarships honored. I haven't seen anybody flat out say, like, you need to get the hell out this year immediately. You're not getting your scholarship. But athletic departments will get back to their operating capacity. Like, universities will survive. Yes, some like have gone under, but they've had problems so far. I think that's been kind of missed with this. Like we will get past this in terms of schools and athletic departments and sports and all that. I don't believe that you would rather have that than a spring season with all the teams. I think I would. And here and it's it's partially because of how I compared it to 2007, like let's just do something really weird. And I also think having a a normally timed weird season easily uh, outlines the path to having a totally uh, a return a return to normal 2021 season where we've kind of got the cart back on the road and it's fine and we just like go about business as usual. So you um, think if we have a spring season, 2021 fall football won't be normal? I don't see that. I don't, I don't see that argument. Not not that it won't be normal, but I, I don't know. So I guess maybe I just maybe I don't know enough about how the spring season would happen. But football is a four to five month season. So if we're starting it as a spring sport, most spring sports start like the second week of February. So we're going from February until June or July, and then they're supposed to take a week and a half off, come back to summer camp into July, August. And like, I mean, that's like a straight year of football nonstop. So my original question for you and one that I texted you earlier, would you rather have the conference only schedule for every single conference or move it to the spring? And it turns out that question was just fucking stupid because you would, that's not even a, a debate for you. You way rather have the conference only season in the fall than move it to the spring. Yeah. Give me some weird stuff. Give me, give me, um, I mean, give me like, you know how we used to describe, uh, we used to have national champions appointed by different media outlets. And as time has gone on, there's more and more of these that are like going back to 1941 and going, actually, I don't know if you know this, Lafayette, nine and one, but sneaky good, maybe should have been the national championship in, in, in 1941. Stuff like that. Let's take the playoff out of it. Let's have all the let's have 27 different appointed media outlets crown 27 different national champions and then let's argue about all of them. I know why we didn't talk about the virus for the last four and a half months nearly <laughs> as much as as most people did. This wasn't the reason for it. If I knew you were gonna go so far off the deep end, I never I didn't want to talk about it, but it was just like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. If I knew that you were going to go off the deep end like this, it would have been like, no fucking way are we talking about the virus. But isn't isn't this, if if we're going to have a season that's irregular, shouldn't we just lean into how irregular it could be? No, we need to, no, no. Why not? Tell me why I'm wrong. I want some semblance of college football. I mean, like you said, on that show a couple of months ago, you're like, yeah, it's, it would still be football if you just wiped out the Mac. But I really, really want to get blasted on a Wednesday night and bet way too much money on whatever you said, like Akron and Bowling Green. Your 
transformation from that to this, I don't know what happened over the last two months to get you to this point. Because I still can get blasted and watch Bowling Green play Akron, but this time, it's the Fiesta Bowl. I don't even know what to say to either segue this to something else or to keep this conversation going. Because you and I both know that we're not going to get anarchy. It's not going to be 40 teams in some weird tournament. There's going to be some sort, if football is played in the fall, it will look like college football without the fans. It's not going to be these like bizarre random Tuesday morning games. It's not going to be teams just like grabbing D2 teams or grabbing whatever jabroni youth football league will play them on a Wednesday afternoon. It's not going to be all that stuff. It's still going to be looking like college football. I'm pretty confident that we're going to have some sort of football in the fall. That's just my personal opinion. I think it will be conference-only games. It will be an empty Camp Randall. It will be empty stadiums, but we'll have something that looks like college football. And with you going this far off the deep end, I don't even know where to bring this conversation. I think you're probably right that it's too radical and... I don't think we're a country that does a lot of radical things, especially off the cuff and especially, especially football fans. So I don't, I don't think any of this will happen, but that's, I think what the decision that I've come to that would be at the very least, the most interesting and the most memorable. Uh, But if you want to talk about a more realistic solution, uh, a more realistic version of what might happen, I think I think you're probably right. I think we're going to get some version of conference only or conference plus one. I think we're going to have empty stadiums. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of TV. I think there maybe we've we've got to renegotiate some TV rights packages. I don't know. Uh, I, th- I think that's probably more realistic. Let's get into the tip of the iceberg on the scheduling stuff. Talking Big Ten and Pac-12, and Oregon is the big one here because. Like in the case of Ohio State, who's obviously a heavier favorite for the playoff, but I'm trying to find you know kind of as close to a peer program between those two conferences as possible. In the case of Ohio State, even at nine games, or if they get that 10th game added like they've talked about, but let's say nine or 10, they still have a road game at Penn State and Michigan at home, and if they add a 10th game, it could be against a decent opponent. I mean, two teams in Penn State and Michigan that'll probably be ahead of anybody that Oregon plays, unless you're just really, really high on USC, unless you're really, really high on Stanford, and their bounce-back chances this year, Ohio State's schedule is just better. So in the case of Oregon the Pac-12, a conference that can't get a team into the playoff when we're playing regular football, it seems like the Pac-12, has their chances have just been absolutely demolished. So I do think that the, the biggest conversation to be had in terms of the playoff and how these decisions over the last week and a half have affected it, I think it's Oregon, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. And that's assuming that the Big 12, SEC, and ACC plow forward with non-conference games. Again, we're recording this on Monday, so we just hope to get over the next three days all three of those conferences don't come out and this becomes irrelevant. I think it's really, really easy to see in that scenario in which the Big 12, SEC, and ACC just continue with all of their games, or 10 or 11, 12 games, something in there. It's easy to see like a 12-1 and or a 13-0 Oklahoma from the Big 12, the SEC champ, whether they're 13-0 and or 12-1 and or whatever they are, And then Clemson, right? I mean, that's an extremely easy, very realistic, very probable scenario. I think uh, I think you're you're totally right. I think power structures that already exist, like uh, like Dabo, like Saban, I think something like this lends them even more power because they're already established. They already have these mechanics. They're just going to plow through this because 
as a program, they're almost stronger than current events. Um, so I, I feel like this entrenches the established people even more so than they already were, and it further disenfranchises a conference like the Pac-12 that already had problems. Now they've got more problems. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Yeah, I think you nailed that part of it. And we've seen the committee reward known commodities in the past. I I am a big fan of what the committee has done generally. I've had some minor beefs of teams, but in terms of the actual playoff field, I think they've gotten all four teams right every single year. And I think they've gotten the ranking of those four teams right every single year. I've had some issues with like five on down, usually like in that five to 15 range. But I like what the committee has done. I have some minor issues with the known commodities over maybe a team that has a better resume, even though they haven't bumped up as much. But I think you're right. I think when the committee will feel comfortable with teams that they know what they have. So if you have a 12-1 and or a 13-0 Oklahoma, you have a 12-1 and or a 13-0 SEC champ, and then Clemson is probably just going to plow right through the ACC, that leaves the other spot up for grabs. And now we have an interesting scenario to weighing the balance between whether those three conferences, if they do play their full 12-game schedule in the conference championship game, looking now at the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, if whether or not they're playing 9 or 10 regular season games, that leaves Oregon, Ohio State, and I also want to throw Wisconsin into this, and maybe there's a 12-1 and SEC non-champion. I mean, maybe going to the SEC championship game, one team is 11-1, and one team is 12-0. and We end up with a two 12-1 teams from the SEC, both of whom have a strong resume, battling for that four spot. So it's Oregon, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and then one of those teams in the SEC battling for the four spot. So I think there are two conversations to be had here. First one is just those teams. If the conversation comes down to those three teams, Oregon, Ohio State, and Wisconsin, for that final playoff spot, who's in? If they're undefeated, obviously Ohio State and Wisconsin can't both be undefeated unless they just wipe off the Big Ten championship game. I think that's part one of this, weighing those resumes between Oregon, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. And then the second piece is if you have like an undefeated Oregon, a 10-0 Oregon, 10-0 Wisconsin, or a 10-0 Ohio State battling the 12-1 non-SEC champ, let's say Florida or Georgia, how does that all balance out? Now that I'm throwing a ton of stuff at you, where, where do you want to start with that? Do you think the more interesting com- – I guess let's just wipe off a team right here. Do you think Oregon even has a chance in this scenario at all with that schedule? I would hesitate to say that at the beginning of the season. Uh, but, I mean, it feels we, – we took shots at people all season last year for writing the Pac-12 off after Oregon lost to Auburn. This is a different scenario than that, but for almost the same reason – I would be really hesitant to say, even before you know training camp, hey, yeah, Pac-12's done. But it does seem like Oregon is playing at almost an impossible deficit here. It feels like they would need to get lucky with other teams losing. Uh, they would maybe need to... God, I don't even know how to say this, but you, you, would, you would almost need other teams to have health problems and lose games to create the, the inevitable, well, what if Clemson, who's 8-2, and two, you know, didn't lose their offensive line for two weeks and lose those two games? Oregon's 10-0. and 0, How do you compare the? You, you would almost have to have that kind of back and forth, I feel like, uh, which, of course, nobody's going to root for. But it is really possible that something like that could happen. I would, I yeah, would argue it is a position group gets likely. wiped out or a game gets wiped out. I mean, it seems highly unlikely starting like week one that we're going to play every single game that yeah. is scheduled in the FBS for that season totally. and every single key player or key group. 
you brought that up quite a while ago. Yeah, what happens if an entire offensive line is out? Like, I get that they're wearing masks and the positivity rate has been pretty strong with the exception of a handful of programs, but, I mean, that that's probable that maybe multiple quarterbacks will be out for at least one week or whether or not they have 14 days that they can shift around a game, but that is extremely probable. How do you weigh that? And it's the same conversation with how do you weigh a 9-0 and or a 10-0 and Oregon even versus, like, an ACC team that goes eleven and one and loses to Clemson by fourteen points. Are we just, are we just in a no win scenario here? Where is the committee really going to play these games where you're talking about the health of players? And I get that they do that with injuries. This feels a little bit different when you have a disease like this. And I know we can talk about the long term effects and all that, but I don't really want to because you and I have no idea what we're talking about. But it feels a little bit different with the committee weighing how a disease has affected a team versus how a knee injury has affected a team. I don't know how on earth the committee is going to do that. I I feel like assuming we have a season, assuming we have a playoff, I would expect the committee to come out really early on in the season, maybe even before the, the first real official games and say, hey, look, we don't know another way to do this other than to grade the resumes that happen in front of us. Uh, in some cases, that's not going to be fair. But when we try to start accounting for viral infections and try to factor that into all these other things that we're looking at, like that's just impossible. So even though we know it's unfair going in, don't we have to just look at the resume you give us and sorry if you know, you're know you unlucky and you lose some games because people get sick, but... If you want to play football, this is kind of the cost of it is that bad luck and, you know, microbiology is going to wipe some people out. It's going to is going to take some games or take some wins off the board for somebody. So let's say they do that. How do you then I'm guessing you don't even have the answer for this. How do you then weigh a 10 and 0 Oregon versus like a 10 and 2 SEC non-champion and Oregon's not going to have any great wins. Let's assume that the season shakes out exactly like we think it's going to, which is a stupid assumption. And maybe USC is like a fringe top 25 team, maybe Stanford, or Arizona, or somebody squeaks in there. Basically they're not going to have like a top 10 or a 15 win, but there are several SEC teams that come up very often that will have a couple of really strong wins and maybe finish 10 and two. How on earth are they going to weigh something like that? Because it seems like the committee has kind of struggled with defining how they weigh nine conference games versus eight, how they weigh Notre Dame not having a conference championship, how they weigh a team that didn't even win their division or didn't even win their conference but is still in the picture. They've struggled with that. How on earth are they going to face it when it's a 10-0 and or a 9-0 and Oregon with no really strong wins going for that four spot and all hell breaks loose and you have a 10-2 and or even like a one-loss team? How, how can they possibly do that? I have no idea. I, I think don't know either. <laughs> I think they're just going to have to. Uh, I think they just got to go with whoever they think is better, which I think is what they do every year anyway. And then they just find a way. You know, they they send whoever the chairperson is to go out there and do the best job defending it that they can. Because uh, I mean, we talked on this podcast before about like the chairman's job is not to make things understandable and nice and digestible for us. It's to lie to us. It's, it's to protect the conversations that happen in the committee. The, the job is not transparency. That's not the goal. Uh, it's, 
if if this was about transparency, this would be an NCAA sanctioned championship. Not to go like full Reddit thread on you, but I mean that's kind of what it is. So I think they're gonna just do the best that they can. They're gonna say they're gonna put in who they think is better. They're probably gonna el- try to reduce or eliminate how much they factor in the virus and just go with whoever they think is the best team. And if they if they think nine and three. LSU is better than 10 and 0 Oregon. They'll put LSU in there. I don't think they have. I mean, would it even be the most controversial decision they've made? Well, that's what I'm at. I do think there would be will there be less complaining when the if the committee just kind of comes out and says, "You know what, guys? We have no goddamn idea. This is how we're going to do it." Just like you said before the season they come out and say, "We're going to weigh what you put on the field." Will there be less complaining? based on the state of what all has happened in this country this year? Or do you think there will still be actual complaining from programs and and schools and university presidents and all these people that bitch about the rankings all the time? Think we'll still have that? I'm guessing not from university presidents because I think most of them probably have the right perspective on everything. But overall, just like the football community, there's totally still going to be complaining. Come on. I mean, this is America. Like, of course it's going to be complaining. Um, I mean, there's going to be, yeah, I mean, it's just, isn't, you would, you would like to think that most people, and, and maybe even most people do feel this way that, you know what, we're lucky to even have any form of football this fall. So let's set aside all of the bickering and all of the, the feelings of, of being left out or being, you know, unfairly treated, blah, 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 blah. That's probably 99.7% of people. And then there's going to be the people in the corner that, you know, well, if we were going to have a bullshit season, why do we have a season in the first place? You know, those people are going to exist out there. They exist. They existed last year. They'll exist next year. They're always going to exist. So I'm not going to flip the whole season over because 37 people in Mississippi are upset that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that pick a team is not in the playoff again. It's but that's gonna happen. Like if that's the question, that's totally gonna happen. If you are a college football fan, you will sit down and you will watch like UMass UConn this year, and you will appreciate the shit out of it. I think that just needs to be some sort of mandate going into this season. I don't know what football is gonna look like, but if there's a college football game on TV. You're going to watch it, and you're going to appreciate it because we might not have had that. Before we wrap it here, I want to talk about Wisconsin really quickly, and we'll get more into them with scheduling in future episodes. I don't think with these announcements that Wisconsin has gotten enough attention nationally. A lot of focus has been on not having that Ohio State-Oregon game, how that affects the playoff, and also with that, we'll get more into that uh, moving forward. With Wisconsin, though, they lose that Lambeau game versus Notre Dame, and they don't have Penn State on the schedule this year. They don't have Ohio State. They do visit Michigan, host Minnesota, visit Iowa. Because Wisconsin, in my opinion, seems like they could have been a player at 12-0 entering the Big Ten Championship game, and a potential scenario of you're in no matter what unless you lose by like 40, and then we can talk about a two-bid Big Ten. So now in this scenario... You have to go 9-0, maybe 10-0 if they had that 10th game. You have to go 9-0 or 10-0 and beat Ohio State. Before, it might have been 11-1 and beat Ohio State. 
You can maybe have like the slip in Ann Arbor, maybe slip against Notre Dame or whoever, or you could go 12 and 0 and lose to Ohio State by you know seven or ten and still get in. I think this was absolutely devastating to Wisconsin's chances of finally getting over the hump. Are you on board with that, or are you just not that high on Wisconsin? You don't think that they're as big of a player in this as an Oregon, as an Ohio State? Uh, I think they're probably comparable to Oregon. I just think Wisconsin's path is going to be so hard because I think Ohio State's going to be really, really good again next year. Um, I'm not, you know, you asked me, I don't know, uh, a month and a half ago maybe, would I take Clemson and Alabama or the field? And I kind of, I kind of paused. And a big reason for that is the math. But another big reason for that is how high I am on Ohio State next year. So I think Wisconsin gets into the playoff if the Big Ten gets two conference teams. And with everything else that's going on, that's certainly on the table because any number of ridiculous things could unfold and and open that path. I think Wisconsin has a pretty winnable schedule, so they could definitely be sitting there as a one-loss Big Ten West champion. Uh, I just don't see them being in the Ohio State conversation so I don't really consider them in that top level of playoff contenders. Yeah, so the Ohio State factor is just is too big for you to get over, and it's big for me to get over, but that's why I think this was so devastating to them. Like I said, I could have seen Wisconsin going 12-0 and against the schedule. I mean, this Michigan team this year, if they are better than last year's team, it'll be marginally better, and Wisconsin just blasted the shit out of them in Madison last year. It looked like a completely different team. I think that Wisconsin probably would have beaten Notre Dame at Lambeau, and then I don't know how you can go into any of these other games and say that they're either not going to win guaranteed or they're not going to be heavy favorites. They're probably going to beat Minnesota in Madison. They're probably going to win at Iowa. They're going to win these games, and they could have been 12-0, and and now all of a sudden you wipe out that Notre Dame game. You don't have any, even though you think that you and I both think the gap between them and Ohio State is pretty big, you still don't have that regular season game against Ohio State or against Penn State to get them some sort of resume bump. I mean, if, if Penn State's on their schedule... And they can go 9-0 and or 10-0. and You have wins over Penn State. You have win over Michigan, over Minnesota, over Iowa. And now all of a sudden you have a pretty decent schedule where if you can go to, to Indianapolis and play the Big Ten Championship game and only lose by seven points to Ohio State, maybe we do see mass chaos elsewhere and they could still get in. But it seems highly, highly unlikely because you just don't have enough marquee games. I mean, I, I'm not confident that Michigan is going to be a top-10 team at the end of the season or Minnesota or Iowa. I mean, those three teams could all finish outside of the top 20 comfortably. So I'm not confident enough that Wisconsin could do that, and it doesn't seem like Wisconsin's getting enough attention to potentially uh, get enough attention what these cancellations did to their schedule or did to their playoff chances. Anything else you want to you want to wrap this up with, or we'll just get into scheduling uh, probably on the next episode. Yeah, maybe. I, I think that's an interesting observation about Wisconsin. I think the thing that kind of clicked into my brain there at the end was when you were talking about Michigan – is the fact that we are we are limiting out of conference play is that good for programs like Michigan, Nebraska, Texas, these sort of uh, maybe A and M the the chronic underachievers that we kind of make fun of a little bit that oftentimes have lofty expectations and they are immediately undone in the non-conference portion like nebraska can't lose to cincinnati now you know they can't lose to south dakota state right 
So or Central Michigan. Nebraska could have gone 0 3 in non conference, and I'm not kidding. Is it is it is it possible that the fact that coronavirus has led to so many out of conference cancellations is that actually a good thing in terms of brand management and managing expectations for these sort these sort of five or six punchline programs that we we prod at a lot because I I'm, I don't think any of them are, are this doesn't change how good any of the teams actually are. But I think a lot of this conversation is about when you lose in the year. And if you make, if you're Michigan and you make it till November before you lose, like, I think that kind of changes the narrative on a Michigan team versus one that gets taken to, you know, to overtime by Army in September or one that loses to Cincinnati in September. Uh, I, I think th- that's an interesting part of this that nobody's really talked about yet. Yeah, I have a, I go back and forth in the whole expectations thing, and, and we'll probably do a hot seat episode coming up here too. Regarding that, I don't know what's going to happen here. Like after the virus initially kind of slowed down, I think we were doing a year wrong, and I said that after this slows down a little bit, like in May and June, which it kind of did and then spiked up a little bit, I had said that more college football teams were going to move on from their coaches once they can kind of like – justify that hey we're not doing this during the middle of a a hot pandemic and I think only one or two did I don't know how teams and programs and perception is going to handle this like if Texas A&M does play a 12 game schedule and they go seven and five I mean Jimbo's obviously not going anywhere because the buyout's too big but I don't know how and fan perception matters. I mean, that's what drives a lot of these coaching decisions. Fan perception matters. And I get, yeah, a lot of us will point to A&M and say 7-5, and five, but I don't know how to to weigh this because of how these teams have been dealing with the virus. I have no idea what's going on inside of those programs right now. I'm sure it's just brutally impossible. So I don't know how we're going to handle the expectations of this. And honestly... I don't really care, and I think that that kind of goes into what you you mentioned right when the show opened, that if we don't really have an opinion on something or we don't know how to talk about something, we just don't do it. I think that a lot of people are going to jump on this and say, if Texas A&M goes 7-5, and five, Jimbo can't get it done in College Station. And I'm, I'm still skeptical of Jimbo Fisher, but if they go 7-5, and five, I don't think I'll feel comfortable questioning Jimbo Fisher after an off season like this. And I don't expect that many coaching changes. I just won't feel comfortable going one way or the other. I mean, I don't know how to talk about it now. I think I definitely won't know how to talk about it. If we get a season come December of really placing any sort of blame on these coaches for not doing something differently over the off season, because we don't know how these 130 teams are handling it inside their locker rooms. I'm sure it's extremely difficult. And I have a hard time blaming a coach yeah, if if a if a program completely implodes and they have you know off the field problems or they're getting unsportsmanlike conducts and all that shit, we can go down that road too. Strip clubs with no to, masks. Exactly. If you're not wearing a mask to the tit bar, we got some problems that we can talk about. And you're supposed to go eleven to one, and you went one and ten or one and eleven. We can talk about all that stuff. I'm fine with placing blame there because you don't have control over your program if your guys aren't wearing a mask to the tit club. But in terms of expectations, I don't know how to approach that now, and I don't think that's going to change. Uh, at all. Anything else before we wrap this up? No. Well done, sir. I love you too. Mm. We're going to get into some scheduling stuff uh, probably next Monday's episode. Break down specifically where these teams sit with the playoff, uh, which teams could benefit from what's happened, which teams are hurt the most, 
analyzing some more schedules. Uh, tweet at us at High Motor Pod if you have any other uh, pod discussion topics or have any questions for the show. Mailbag Chase is at Chase A Kitty. I am at A Dowdy eighty eight. There will be a new episode on Monday. Thanks for dropping by the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today. It had been a while, and we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter because deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between